One, two, yeah. Thank you, Joan. Um, you, you landed on the Bible reading and leading in one week after we swapped around. That's all right. Um, if you've got a, a Bible actually to uh, look at in front of you today, that would be of uh, great help. Because if you um, noticed, we skipped a whole chunk of chapter 4. And you might have also noticed that we've had a reading that we had two weeks ago again. Um, John preached on that for us a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'll just give a quick message. We prayed for John and Reg last week before they headed off. Um, They've arrived safely in an area of India called Dharamasala. And they're there um, looking for... Uh, God to open doors for where they might continue uh, their missionary work with Tibetan people. So be praying for them over the next few weeks and also for their kids who are being farmed out to their family while they're, um, while they're away. Uh, yeah, so if you've got a Bible or a, or a Fible, as the kids call it, a Bible on your phone, um, have that ready. I'll also put it up on the screen. And um, There's no clicker there. You guys can follow along. It's not that hard. Yeah, I turned that off. Yeah, cool. Let's pray. Father, we give you great thanks that we can be here, that we can come to your word, um, and that your word, uh, Lord, brings life. Lord, that your spirit inside of us um, brings it to life. And Lord, because of the grace that you've shown us and the new life that you've brought us into, Lord, you empower us by your spirit to obey it. So Lord, please... Let it come deeply into our hearts this morning. And Lord, make us new people um, by spending this time together in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. So last uh, Sunday, I shared with you guys that um, last Saturday, our rugby team won the grand finals. And um, I'm still bragging about it. That's why I'm bringing it up, like, you know, even though it's old news. Uh, But I also shared that even in the midst of all the excitement of that, I was far more excited about getting into Ephesians chapter 4 uh, and preaching it. And, and on the day of the grand final, we'd, um, we'd celebrated a bit, but I was just keen to get home and look through my sermon notes and be ready to share with it and share with us uh, last Sunday. And that was all true. And then it got to like Sunday afternoon, Monday morning. Now, what I also did last week was I said that I'm never playing rugby again. After 10 seasons of playing, I said, that's enough. I'm in a different season of life now. Uh, you know, it's too many nights out to go and train, too much commitment. I just need to cut that out of my life. And so once church was over and the reality hit me and then I like watched a replay, there was a video of the game and I was like watching, oh, I wish I did that better or I could improve in this area. And I was just like all of a sudden going, oh, I want to play again. Um, And then to add to that, uh, we got emailed out a survey from the rugby organisation asking, um, you know, how can we improve the game? How did you rate the referees? All this kind of stuff. And one of the questions was, what do you love about rugby? And as I thought about it, the reason that I played rugby was because someone like me, uh, thick set, you might say, has a role in that game, okay? Um, Over those 10 years, I've learned the dark arts of propping in a, in a front row of a scrum, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, the World Cup's just started, so it's time to get educated uh, and learn all about it. Uh, but in that game, you can contribute a lot. Now, the thing about that, though, is that 
rugby is a team of 15 guys plus reserves, and not everyone knows how to do what I knew how to do. Not everyone's able to do it. If I stacked up against our halfback, who's like 70 kilos when he's dripping wet, I would just destroy him in a scrum. But if I had to chase him, well, goodbye, he can run away faster than me. And what I realised about rugby, and sorry if you're not into rugby, but this is the right analogy for what I wanted to start with today. Like I said, the World Cup's just started, so it's not too late. Time to get into it. Your team's probably already out of the NRL finals, and AFL, you won't find any friends if you want to be into that. So rugby's where it's at, people. But what I realised is that rugby is simultaneously about the individual effort, what the individual can do and bring to it, and at the same time, it's about the team. If the team doesn't get, get on well together, doesn't gel, doesn't work as a team, one star on that team isn't going to get you all the way in the competition. Now, the reason that we're going back over stuff that we've looked at already in Ephesians is because this chapter of Ephesians kind of highlights that. It highlights uh, what God does through us at an individual level. And there's wonderful things, like those songs that we've already sung. You're a good, good father, and I am loved by you. And we can affirm that in our Christian life. We can affirm the, the cherished love that we have as individuals in Christ, that we're included in him, we're sealed by his spirit, Ephesians tells us. But at the same time, as things are going on for us individually, there's a lot going on for us collectively. And that's why we're going to go back through all of chapter 4, not in the same detail that we have over the last couple of weeks, but we're going to look at how the Christian life is both our individual growth and individual maturity, and it's also what God does among us as a collective, about us in community. There's a couple of passages that give us the context for this. Back in chapter 3, we read a couple of things that kind of interwine what the gospel does with what God does through his people. If you can read that, you don't need too good eyesight to read that, but I've highlighted one verse, or two verses out of that. When it's talking about what God was doing in bringing Jesus into the world, the gift of God's grace, he keeps on going and talking about, in verse 10, his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purposes that he accomplished in Jesus Christ our Lord. Similarly, at the end of chapter 3, he says, he says a very similar thing. I'll read all of this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. See, what you see here is a necessity that the gospel impacts not just you as an individual, but it brings you into this community. The thing about our society is that we're very individualistic. A lot of the things that we're taught is about, about ourselves and about being our own person. Uh, and 
A lot of the way that we're marketed to is along those lines about who you are, about what you can, what you can have, have things that are for your own personal benefit. And it, and it extends way beyond that. Like our concept of, of uh, family is that we're a bunch of individuals, uh, kind of, you know, kind of blood related, but we don't really get it. And, and the individualism in our society is pretty, pretty, uh, you know, messy. It actually has made a fair, fair um, problem of it. And that, that spills over often into uh, Christian teaching because the, the, it's kind of like the water that we swim in, uh, it, it impacts it. And so often we can actually overemphasize what God does for us as individuals. So that's why it's really important that we read this today with different eyes. So you can't just have community uh, without individuals. So, so sorry, I'll, I'll make that point again. We often in our church have actually, you know, over the last five to ten years, made a big deal about community. We've made a big deal about trying to go back to the Bible and see that community is really where it's at. And you can't just have community without individuals. See, we are deeply loved and known by God, known intimately by God. But you can't just have be individuals and be not in community. See, someone that might say, I can just be a Christian, but I don't have to go and be involved in the church. Well, this passage is going to have a lot to say to that kind of thinking. You might have been there. There might have been a part of your life where you were kind of like walking as a Christian, but you're kind of like, oh, I don't really fit in at church. It's not really for me. It's not my style. All those kind of different things. To, to live this way is actually quite countercultural. To be a Christian and to be obedient to this teaching, we actually go against the grain of our world that says that it's all about the individual. Now, what actually goes further is that a lot of the stuff that we read later on in chapter 4, and I'm going to bring it up, is you can't actually be obedient to those chapters without the context of community. It's just impossible to obey what the Bible says at this point unless you're actively involved in the church. Now, at our church, we have, and Joan's already read it for us this morning, we say and we remind ourselves that we are a community seeking to love Jesus, to love each other, to love our wider community, to love our world, and importantly, to help others to do the same. And that's exactly, that's exactly why, because this is the teaching that we see in this part of Ephesians. This is the big why of church. Why does God call us together? What we're going to see today is that God makes his people like himself by using one another. He does that through one another. So the points for today is to see that we're one body who is equipped, who is maturing, who is transforming, and who is loving. You can follow those points through. Uh, they're on your service sheet if you want to take any notes. Now, have you ever had that feeling when, I don't know, maybe I get this when I'm like playing with my kids sometimes and you're down on the floor, they've got Legos out or something like that. And you've kind of been sitting there for a while and you realise that you've been sitting on one leg and you go to stand up and all of a sudden oh, you've got pins and needles in that leg and you kind of like oh, shake it out, try to get it alive again. Uh, my body doesn't work unless all the parts are really working. 
If you've ever experienced like having a broken or whatever going on there, uh, Jack, you've got something broken at the moment or something's not working quite the way it's meant to, one of your joints is already, you know, past its use-by date but you're only 50 years old, all those kind of things. A lot of nods, okay. So the idea in this first part of Ephesians is that we are one body and we're all made up of different parts. We're one body and we're all made up of different parts. Now the thing about all the parts that make up the church, every individual that comes a part of it, everyone is there only because of the grace of Jesus. There's no one that's incorporated into this body because they're in any way superior to any other part. Now you might think about it, I've got half a toenail on one of my feet at the moment, so I've got a little part of my body missing. Now, you might think that my hand is more important than my toenail. If I had half my hand missing, it might seem to be a little bit more, um, you know, problematic for me than just not having half a toenail for a little while. But this is where the metaphor doesn't really extend to, does it? The the thing about the church is that if any part is uh, considered to be greater than the other, it actually misses the point of how we're in that body. We're each only members because of the grace. And so that means that we're all equal members. We all have some role to play. And so for that to be true, we've actually got to be united. This is where we pick up verse 4 of chapter 4. Read it with me. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. See, for that reason, we've got to be united because we all are sharing in the common faith that we find in Jesus. And this actually means we've got to allow ourselves to be in community. Because we hold this thing in common, it's not like we can latch hold of what Jesus has done for us and just kind of like run off with it. You know, like... uh, my kids do this to each other. They're like, that's my toy, and they run and hide in one corner, and they're so bundled up in the corner holding onto this thing so tightly that they can't actually play with it properly. But they're like, that's mine, 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 mine. Like, um, what's that little weird guy in the Lord of the Rings? Gollum. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the nerds speak up. So Gollum hiding there with his, my precious, that kind of thing. We can't do that with Jesus. We've actually all kind of like reaching out holding on to the hope that we hold in common. See, we can't really follow Jesus unless we recognise that we're all, we've got people all around us holding on to this hope that we've been shown. We actually have really tried to incorporate this into how we structure our church. So we come together around that word and we try to be inclusive. We've, we've expanded ourselves. We try to Keep us all together so that we understand this. We try to form what happens in the rest of the week around being in smaller little pockets of communities, little communities that are really living together. That's why we have gospel communities. That's why we call them gospel communities. They're not just Bible studies because that's not all that they're about. They're not just pastoral care groups because that's not all that they're about. This is the whole idea that All of life is shared because that common thing is shared. The hope that we have and the grace that we have been shown in Jesus. 
So we see that we're one body, and what I want us to see next is that that body is constantly equipped. Our church has been without a minister since February now. Why hasn't it all just fallen over? Why haven't people stopped turning up? Why haven't we, you know, just kind of let it go by the wayside until someone new comes along and can take over? Well, the thing is that it's actually the whole body that does the work of being the church. It does the work of being the church. If if we go down to verse 11 through to 13 of of Ephesians chapter 4, if you don't have a Bible in front of you, it's up on the screen. It tells us that Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers. We don't have a pastor at the moment, sure. But he gave us those to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. The yes, there are gifts, and when John spoke to us, he helpfully helped us to think through what are our gifts, what do we bring, but here this list is kind of quite specific. It talks about people that are gifted in leadership, but what are they doing? Well, they're equipping the whole body to be able to serve. The point of any gift that any of us have, and particularly those that lead and teach, is only to build up the body so that it can serve. Why is that? Well, because it actually brings unity. The whole body working together actually unifies it. It grows us. It brings us together. And so the the truth here is that you can't mature as an individual and you can't mature, we can't mature as a church without having that commitment to one another, that commitment to one another in community. And in fact, it even goes further than that. We can't have that growth in ourselves or the growth as a church unless we're committed to being in community and serving in community. See, that's what he says there, verse 12, to equip his people for works of service. It's as we actually give of ourselves, give of our own lives and serve one another in community that we mature. That's what it's all about there. And that actually brings us to the next point, that we're one body who is equipped and maturing. See, the thing is, maturity is the goal. We need to actually stick together to look out for one another. Look at what he says in verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. See, that's why we need one another in our life, so that we don't get tossed around so that we don't get blown here and there. And it kind of, you can break it up into a couple of areas. It's what happens to us in life. It's it's the day in, day out living that we can actually be there for one another for. We can actually be walking alongside one another, sharing their joys, sharing their struggles, actually sharing in life in that way. This is what he describes here. And also, we actually share one another, sorry, we actually encourage one another in what we believe, in our, in our doctrine, in what we're actually 
believing about God, where we're putting our hope, all of those kind of things. See, the whole point here is that as we mature together, we're actually contributing God's word to one another's lives. We're actually speaking it to one another. Whether that's sitting around really formally having a Bible study or whether that's over a conversation that's in tears where you can just speak the truth of, of God's word into a situation. It might be correcting someone that's kind of got like, you know, an idea, they've heard something on YouTube or something and it's kind of confused them and you can bring them back to see what God's word is. Whatever it actually looks like, the point is that being in community, you can actually help one another in that way. A few uh, months ago, I think it was back in July or June, might have been June, uh, there was a couple of boats that um, flipped over as they were trying to get through the mouth of the river. Now, um, me and Tara and the kids were going for a walk that morning and we just got near the, where you walk out the north break wall and uh, some people walking back the other way was like to us, they said, the, um, the, a boat just flipped over. And we're like, what? A boat just flipped over? So we were going to walk along the river, but we're like, let's go see what this is about. And we got out to the end of the wall and there was a heap of people, uh, well, actually, at that stage, there was just a few people there watching and sure enough, just off, kind of like square on with the surf club, there was a, a fishing boat, like a small, small fishing boat, flipped upside down, and a bunch of blokes huddling onto one another. Now, there, up the mouth of the river were a whole line of boats, all trying to go out. And it was really sketchy. It was kind of crazy. I don't know why they were bothering to try to do it. Um, but the bigger boats could get through, a couple of boats just kind of were lucky. But then another boat came with all this going on, with the reports that someone's already flipped over, and we actually saw the second boat go into this wave, kind of get knocked back, was about to hit the front of the north wall, and then it tried to leg it, and, or not leg it, what do you do? Uh, fang it. Um, <laughs> it tried to fang it out, and the wave just came and went, and, these, and so a second boat now is there, flipped over, and the same thing happened. And they, what they kind of did was they just kind of like let the current take them, which kind of like took them to the north way. I don't know much about the water, but anyway. Um, but what we noticed about these guys is that they all huddled together. Once they were flipped over, they inflated their thingies and they floated off holding onto the boat or holding onto each other. And eventually uh, a guy paddled out on a surfboard and someone else rode their... Uh, uh, took their boat that way and then eventually the Coast Guard came out and they brought them on. They all washed up near the four-wheel drive track. But the point is that as they were tossed around by the waves, the thing that meant you know, life and death for these guys was that they were actually there together. If it was just one guy on his own in his boat, he could have flipped that thing, knocked himself on the head, been knocked unconscious and drowned. Okay, but... The togetherness that these guys had, it's kind of a silly story, isn't it? They were pretty foolish for what they did, but, but that's not the point. This picture of actually being there together and letting that kick in is this picture that we have there. The togetherness that we have as individuals actually expands to having that, that um, sticking together, that sticking together to get us through, to get us through whatever things might knock us around, tossing, being tossed back and forth by the waves like that illustration that we do there, that we have there. 
And the big way that we actually do this comes in verse 15. The way that we actually keep one another from being tossed about, well, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. Speaking the truth in love. That means that we are all about what God has revealed to us in his gospel, in his word. They're the words that are on our lips to one another because that's the thing that we're commonly holding on to. But it's not just that we speak that truth. We speak that truth with the love that it's been spoken to us. In the gospel, you are told that you are a sinner worthy of condemnation, eternal hell. But in love, God has reached into your heart, into your life, and has told you, I declare you forgiven and clean. He speaks the truth to us in love. So that's how we've got to be with one another. Our temptation can be that we don't speak the truth to one another, that we can kind of listen to someone's problems and just kind of be afraid to say the truth because we don't want to upset them anymore, or that we can um, avoid saying the truth because it's just too hard to say or because we're not sure about it ourselves. Likewise, we can be all about the truth but be so insensitive to the people that we're speaking to that we don't do it in love. And this verse has got, got to, it tells us that we've got to keep that in check. We've got to keep that balance between speaking the truth and speaking it in love. Not, not being any less loving than we ought to be and not being anything less truthful than we ought to be. But getting that balance. We need God's wisdom really for that, don't we? But that's the command there. So we're one body who is equipped, maturing. And the final thing is we are transformed. The big passage, the big hinge passage that we looked at last week was in verses um, 22 to 24 of this chapter. And it talks about how our life is being transformed. As individuals, we're taking off the old life without knowing Jesus and putting on a new life where Jesus is our Lord. Now, This process is an individual thing, but what this passage wants us to realise is that this happens in community. It's meant to happen as our life is intertwined with one another. another. So there we talked about last week how there's things to take off and there's things to take on. And if you look through all those verses, you can see that there is a a need for us to, to seek that transformation, seek that transformation from a life that's darkened to a life that's living in the light of Jesus. But what I want us to do is I'm just going to pick out a few of these now and show you that these are necessarily happening in community. Look at verse 25 with me. He says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are members of of one body. See, there you see it. The put off is put off falsehood. Don't lie. Put on. Don't just, don't just stop doing that, but start speaking truthfully. You can't just not do one. You've got to do something positively in its place. But look at the two reasons that this has to be in community. The first thing is, if I'm going to speak truthfully or lying to one another, to someone, I've actually got to speak to someone, don't I? It's kind of obvious. This presumes that we're in community with one another, that we're actually speaking into one another's lives. And secondly, 
the big reason is we are members of one body. See, if, if you go back to that analogy for a second, okay, if I tried to deceive my ear about something that was on my foot, it's kind of like, kind of stupid, isn't it? Because my foot and my ear are connected to one another. If I try to deceive one of you about something in my life or something about myself, it's foolishness because we're connected. We are one body. Okay, I can't trick you any better than I can um, you know, fool one part of my body to the other. We are members of one body. And for that reason, we've got to be honest with one another. Okay, if, I, um, you know, if you start to get an infection in one part of your body and you're just like, I'm just going to ignore that, and it starts to pass up and starts to go gangrenous and that kind of thing, Pretty soon I'm going to have, you know, maybe only one leg or something like that. It's a pretty gross example, isn't it? But when you think about that, if, if that's what this is saying. If, if you try to keep lying to one another, then you're going to end up with this situation where you've just ignored and, and cut off, cut yourself off from the body. Let, let's get another example. Look at verse 28 with me. He says in verse 28, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must be uh, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need he says put off stealing and then he says put on work and by that he's talking about earning and earning money so that you've got something to be able to share with people but the point is is so that you can share with people so that you can be generous why does he want us to stop stealing because it's wrong? Why does he want us to put on earning or, or work so that we can earn something? But what's the point of the community? It's so that we can be generous. How do we know how to be generous with people? Because we're in community with them. How do we know what the needs of people are? Because we are sharing life with one another. To be obedient to this, it's necessary to live life in community. One more example, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only is what, what is useful for helping, helpful for building others up according to, those ne- to their needs, that they may benefit, uh, that it may benefit those who listen. He says, put off unwholesome talk. Put on words that encourage one another. But what's the point of it? It's so that people get built up, so that in this body that we're in, we actually are, are building one another up. We're encouraging one another up in this. See, all of these things are replaced behaviours. They're not just commands to stop something, not just commands don't do this. They're actually commands to start living differently, to start being more like Jesus, being more like God himself. It's to stop what belongs to one nature and to start being what God is like with one another. And so the thing is that community is absolutely necessary for this. That lying example again, stop lying and speak truth. How can you do that without having people to speak to? How can you do that without having people who will lovingly call you out when you are being dishonest with one another? How can you do that without people who will speak to you in love? Community is necessary. And we've got to remember, like I already said, this is a community built on grace. It's not just that we have people to practice godliness with. 
It's not like, you know, one another's just like a renter crowd in our lives and it's, we're the star of the show and we've just got you guys that, you know, you're just, you all are just here for me just so that I can practice being more and more godly so that more and more glory comes to me for my... It's, that's just ludicrous, isn't it? The point is that, that we're a community that is founded on the grace that's been shown to us in Jesus. And because it's founded on that grace, well, that's how we can live with one another, by extending grace in these relationships just as it's been extended from God himself. We have people who can help us. We, can, we have people who have struggled the struggles that we are struggling with, that have shared the joys that we are now finding joy in. We've got, we've got it because we share all commonly this grace. It's the same thing that we're holding on to. We're safe in this community to be people who acknowledge our need for a saviour and a need to be transformed. It's so different to that kind of like old idea, that old tradition that some churches got caught up in, that church was a place where you wore your Sunday best, you saved face, you put on a good front and you kind of like showed up for an hour a week and then just disappeared. Even I'm not that old... um, I'm only 33, and I've experienced that in particular churches around the place. It's one of the great, uh, terrible mistakes that some churches and the Christian church has made, that we've made it into some kind of religion where it's all about looking good. So this is real, authentic community where we share as sinners in a saviour who is transforming us by his grace. And the final thing is a community actually sets examples for one another to to live by. In a community, we learn as we see things happening in other people. We see what God does in others. And sometimes when we do that, we recognise our need because we see God doing it in their life and it hasn't happened in our life yet. That sin that they've brought under the the lordship of Jesus or or maybe uh, some other understanding that they've gained or or depth that they've gone into in their, in their life. We see transformation happening and we're reminded constantly of the power of, of the Holy Spirit as he works in people's lives. We're convicted of the reality of what has happened for us. We see that love. We see restoration. We see reconciliation. We see the gospel as it works in, in these relationships. Grace extended between one another. This is what chapter 5, I mean, of course, in the Bible when it was written, there was no chapter divide. So because we stopped at the end of chapter 4 last week, doesn't mean that we really should stop reading. Look at what chapter 5 says to round this all up. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So this is the walk that we're on, and we're on this walk together. And God has called each of us individually into a community to walk on this path hand in hand with one another, speaking the truth in love and growing up into that transformed, mature body that he is bringing about for us. Let's pray to that end. Loving Father, we give you great thanks for what this part of your word shows us that you are doing. Lord, teach us to be more and more aware 
of what it is to not just belong to you as your child, but to belong to one another as brothers and sisters. And Lord, teach us to have more and more grace with one another. Lord, teach us to give us the power to bear with one another. Lord, to walk in the way of love with one another. Lord, to seek transformation together. Lord, help us to do that with the people that we're most close to in this context. And Lord, help us to learn to do that with the people that we find the hardest to do that with. Lord, extend grace through our lives, Lord, into those relationships. Father, we thank and praise you that uh, that, uh, we um, can join in community with one another. So, Lord, help us to have the commitment, Lord, to one another to sustain those relationships and that time together. Father, help us now to think through this deeply and, Lord, to to have the boldness and and the conviction to make changes in our life, Lord, to, to obey what your word says. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.